Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, bears, Akamarians, and things to episode 20 of the Muppet Trek podcast. I'm Jarman. And I'm Steve. We are here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. And Jarman, what are those? Those are, of course, The Muppets and Star Trek. And we uh, do one-to-one reviews of The Muppet Show and Star Trek, the original series. And this week, we have special Muppet Show guest Kay Ballard and the original series episode, Court Martial. Now, you say Kay Bar- Ballard. Who the hell is Kay Ballard? And please inform our audiences, Steve. Well, Kay Ballard was a comedian, actor, and musical performer who has dozens of roles that span television, film, and stage her television credits are a mile long, having done short arcs or reoccurring appearances on shows like The Ed Sullivan Show, The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, The Red Skelton Show, and way, 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 way more. Oh, Red Skelton, I remember him. Uh, her stage work includes Carnival, Gypsy, Pippin, and Chicago, and she was in movies like 1976 Freaky Friday and 1999's Baby Geniuses. Oh, really? <laughs> but what does our generation know her from? Probably Baby Geniuses. <laughs> <laughs> if anything. If anything, well, would you say she's more of the Muppet show? Is she more an actress, a comedian a, or a singer or kind of all of those things? So the thing I'm discovering about this whole era and a lot of the guests we're seeing. Right. Is that these people are famous for being themselves ah. for the most part. And I think we're kind of coming from, I'm not sure why, but if you look at some of the people, Bruce Forsyth, the guy we're going to talk about next week is the same way where his self appearances in his IMDb page are like a mile long because they've done every talk show and every run on every minor show they can possibly do. And like the match it's game all as themselves. Exactly. But it's all as themselves. Oh uh, yeah, that's true. Different era, I guess a different era, but it's an era of people that are famous for being famous. <laughs> well, kind of like uh yeah, like Kim Kardashian or something. If anything. Yeah. It very much. It, maybe we're in a cycle because now we have people that are famous for being famous from like the digital age. That's true. I didn't think about that. They're but it's the themselves. same sort of deal. They're not famous for being in a movie or for doing these things. They're famous for like doing a funny bit on Ed Sullivan. <laughs> That's so weird. <laughs> right. Oh, anyway. Uh, but uh, this week on The Muppet Show, uh, I'm going to summarize a little bit different this week. So we're going to see how this goes. All right. On stage this week, the opening theme kicks off. Fozzie tells a joke about a pig and gets slapped by Piggy. Kermit introduces the week's special guest, Kay Ballard. This is what we call the Muppet Show. The show opens with the country trio doing a quick little ditty in the summertime. It's a, it's a great number. Following this is Kay Ballard and Thog, who perform a lovely duet. Oh, babe, what would you say? It really is a lovely performance, and Thog is adorable as always. Fog, that's his name. I kept forgetting. Yeah, Thog. Uh, we receive a Muppet News Flash. A woman is trying to set the world record for the longest sentence. It is nonstop, but also nonsensical. We then find ourselves at the dance where the best joke this week is about Piggy speaking Pig Latin. <laughs> Next up, we have Life Gets Tejus Donut, more of a spoken poem than a musical number. It's well performed as the shack disintegrates around the old man narrator. Afterward, we have the talk spot with Kay, Kermit, and Animal. Kay interprets for Animal and shares his distaste for the current theme song of the show. When Kermit and Kay admit that they both really like the song, he attacks both of them viciously. (laughs) Following this, we have a sketch where a barber cuts so much hair away from a client that a sneeze blows them away entirely. 
Next is Vendaface, where an ugly whatnot gets their face torn off and replaced with a cute one. An onlooker tries after seeing the great results only to receive the ugly face from the other person. Mm-hmm. And after this, we get the closing number One Note Mamba featuring Kay Ballard, her and Piggy duel throughout the song across a series of different instruments. And it's really a very entertaining and great closing number. So meanwhile, backstage this week, Floyd and the band threaten to quit the show because they hate the theme song as it encroaches on them as artists. They agree tentatively to help with Kay Ballard's numbers going forward. Kermit then agrees to have Nigel rewrite the song. The band doesn't like this either because Nigel wrote the original song that they hate. (laughs) Animal's distaste then spills over into the talk spot, as I mentioned, as he attacks Kay and Kermit. Floyd tells Kermit the band will stay if he can write the new song. This song is later played with a uh, song called Fugue for Frog, and it is an absolute mess. Uh, The band rushes out on stage just in time for the closing number. The final curtain finally comes. Floyd asks Kay to sign a petition to change the song. Kay insults Piggy, who chops the crap out of her, and Rolf plays the end song and theme alone as the rest of the band has walked out. (laughs) On a harpsichord. (laughs) Uh, and that is this week's episode of The Muppet Show on stage and back. Nice. Let's talk about the music this week. In the Summertime, written by Roger Miller, who would later host the show in season three. Hmm. That's, a, uh, that's oh the babe. folks number that was playing? Uh, yes. Gotcha. Uh, with the, the, yeah, the, the trio. Gotcha. Oh, babe, what would you say? This is an English producer, performer, songwriter named Norman Smith. Uh, and this was a hit on the number three billboard charts on the billboard charts. But before and after this hit, Norman had a great career as an engineer and producer. He was the engineer and recorder at EMI studios for the Beatles up into rubber soul. Hmm. Uh, and John Lennon gave him the nickname normal because of how even tempered he was. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, life gets tedious. Don't it? <laughs> Weird number. Uh, it's by a guy named Carson J. Robinson, mostly known as a country museum. He got his start as a professional musician at age 15 as a whistler. Oh, I, like I thought that. you would like that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Fugue for Frog is clearly a big homage to Frank Zappa and his nutty experimental rock shenanigans. And then uh, One Note Samba, the closing number, is by a guy named Antonio Carlos Jobim. I think I got that. Brazilian music and song, musician and songwriter who's commonly known for bringing bossa nova music to the world. <laughs> and I looked that up, and the best example I could find is he's the guy who wrote The Girl from Ipanema. Ah, and also that people style will know, of music. You'll know bossa nova from your keyboard as a kid. Just push the little button for the bossa nova music. Yes. Uh, so, John, what did you think of this week's episode of The Muppet Show? I thought it was a really solid episode. And I think once again, I'm noticing the trend. The reason it was so good is because Kay Ballard really synced well with the Muppets. And she felt like she was performing with them. They weren't, I, they, I was forgetting that they were puppets. She made them feel like they were just co stars in, like in, a, in a variety show, which is what you're supposed to be doing. Um, she felt very natural with them, which I really liked. And she's a, she's a decent singer, decent actress, pretty funny. So that kind of all around makes it a very solid episode. I think it's these episodes really seem to hinge on the hosts and the Muppets try to like make up for that by just doing more Muppet stuff. You notice really hardcore how much the host is not involved and that kind of makes it. Feel That's weird true. Too. That's true. When they fill the gaps, it's right. very noticeable. Um, I love the folk song at the beginning. It was, I always love those guys for some reason. I think their songs oh, are man. really good. Absolutely. What are they called again? 
They're the country trio. The country trio. That's right. You said that a few times. All right. So, uh, but yeah, that and the old man on the porch, I really enjoyed that number. I laughed a few times because he's just so depressed and nihilistic about life, you know, <laughs> but he doesn't really care either. It doesn't really bother him. Um, and uh, I liked how the B plot of the band uh, really intertwined throughout the whole episode and affected the episode, both in the talk spot and also at the end. This is the first time ever they haven't done a pre-recorded um, end credit sequence. It was just Ralph yeah. on harpsichord, and it was like I love that. I love that. Yeah. And Nigel conducting just him. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, you know, that does sound kind of square. And he's like, just keep playing. <laughs> so that was really funny. <laughs> I agree. In fact, I'm willing to say that this episode is probably second to Pete Ustinov. This is number two in my book very easily for all the reasons you said she related. Well, she did a good job. I think that unlike a lot of guests, they did a really good job featuring her. Yes, they did. And showed off all the things she could do. She got that sweet kind of funny sentimental number. She got one note Samba where she got to show off a little bit more. Oh, I really love that number too. And her and picky one of Samba. Here's the thing. As soon as I saw it, I remembered the song and remembered loving it. But before I just rewatched it, I couldn't, I wouldn't have ever said that was one of my favorites. Hmm. But now that I see it, I'm like, oh man, that was such a good number. It was so cute and funny. And they were competing and fighting against each other. And she brings out a tuba. It's just, it's really fun. Um, but I, th- I would say the super successful episode, second only to, to Pete Ustinov. You know, initially I put, um, this is going to be the upper middle episode level for me. But when I think about it, it probably is second place for me too. I would agree. It's and it's so weird because both Pete Usinoff and Kay Ballard I've never heard of before. <laughs> but, right, I, 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 that same remark. I think it's the funny that the people that we know the least about from like a general, you know, zeitgeist mindset. Yeah, uh, that are they're the ones that are just blowing me away the most. And that's the weird part too. Going into this whole podcast idea, I was worried that I was going to be bored by the people I all these people I'd never heard of before from the seventies, and I'm like. It's weird. They're becoming my favorite episodes. So it's just kind of <laughs> neat. It works out really well. So, Jordan, what was your favorite Muppeteering moment uh, I, from I'm, this week's episode? I always try to appreciate the complex uh, Muppeteering moments where I'm like, how how did they do that? Or like, how complicated must that have been? And so mm-hmm. I think in this one, it definitely would be the old man in the cabin sequence, because especially towards the end when the whole house collapses and he's crawling on the ground and you're like, <laughs> where's the hand? How? There's still floor there. Like, what did they do? Where? How? So I, I don't know how it worked. And I think it was a lot to coordinate at one time with the clock and the mouse and the dog. And, and so it's just it was very complicated. And also, I just liked the number. It was silly and fun. And so I, that was my favorite moment. Uh, for me, my favorite this week, uh, I had to go to the country trio. Nice. They were just spot on. It's a great song. It was really well performed. Uh, and when if you ever rewatch it, rewatch it and just watch Frank Oz performing the bass player. Oh yeah, it is just a great and phenomenal performance that makes it takes the entire thing over the top. Yeah, they're such good singers too. Well, at least not the Frank Oz part, but he's he's a good singer too. But they're, they're, the other two are really <laughs> that was good not singers. the point. Yeah, that's yeah. not why he was not featured. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so, Jared, uh, tell us about this week's the original series episode. So this week we cover the episode Court Martial, and this is getting to a point now where I love doing this show because there's episodes of Star Trek original series I've seen a billion times, and there's ones like mm-hmm. this that I've. I haven't really rewatched at all. I maybe seen this episode once, maybe twice. So that was kind of neat. Uh, so court martial, uh, the enterprise is going to Starbase 11 for repairs after being caught in an ion storm. And Kirk was forced to eject a research pod from the ship to protect the enterprise itself from being destroyed for reasons that are kind of unclear, but they're more clear in the novelization of the episode. Uh, they don't really get into it. And there was a crew member on board that research pod, which is Lieutenant Commander Benjamin Finney. And a search party was unable to find him after the storm was over. So the commander of the Starbase 11, where they're getting their repairs, Commander Stone, or Commodore Stone, 
reviews the ship's computer records, and it seems as though Kirk is lying and that he jettisoned the pod before he needed to, and that he may have either purposely or accidentally, because he was panicking, uh, killed Lieutenant Commander Finney. So Stone says that Kirk is now subject to court-martial for lying. And apparently it's even more suspicious because long ago, Finney made a mistake on another ship that he and Kirk served on, and Kirk had to report him because of his mistake, and this caused Finney's career in Starfleet to take a tailspin that he never recovered from, and so he resented Kirk ever since then. So now it's suspicious, and it seems like Kirk might have had reason to get rid of him since this guy hated him so much. So Stone offers to let Kirk step down from, from the Enterprise and just take desk duty for the rest of his life to avoid a court-martial because he doesn't want to besmirch the office of captain in Starfleet because it's never happened before. But Kirk, in a very dramatic scene, says, Hell no, I demand a court-martial! <laughs> Claiming his complete innocence. It was a great scene. And at the trial, uh, Spock and McCoy both try to defend Kirk's character and say he would never do something like this. But at the same time, they had to admit that the computer just can't make that kind of mistake. So they don't know how to reconcile these two things. And then the prosecution even has a video uh, log of the incident, basically video of what happened on the bridge when it happened. And it shows Kirk pushing the button to jettison the pod before he issues a red alert. So basically he shot off the pod before he needed to. So either purposely killing Finney yes. or doing it in a moment of panic. Oh my God. And even Kirk is so surprised. He's like, did I really do this? Am I losing my mind? So afterwards, Kirk jokes with Spock that maybe he'll actually be able to beat his next captain in a game of chess because it looks like he's going to lose command of the Enterprise. But this gives Spock an idea. So he goes and plays the computer at chess and he wins three times in a row, which should be impossible because Spock programmed the computer himself. So the best he should have been able to do is have a draw. So something's obviously wrong with the computer. Mm. So Spock goes down to the court and quickly tells them of his findings. And Kirk's attorney, this weird guy named Mr. Cogley, uh, who comes out of like a 1950s movie, it's really weird, uh, gives a speech and convinces the judges to reconvene on the Enterprise to discuss the evidence. Because they need to face his accuser, which is the computer itself. Uh, so once on the ship, Spock tells the judges that only three people could have reprogrammed the computer, either himself, uh, Kirk, or Finney. And this t prompts Cogley, the crazy attorney, to proclaim, Finney is not dead. So the rest of the Enterprise crew is all beamed down to the surface, and Bones uses tech magic to find Finney's heartbeat on the ship to track him down. <laughs> it's a weird yeah, one. Yeah, that, that was a good, uh, it's a good <laughs> definition of that. With like a weird microphone prop, it was really strange. Yeah, it was weird. <laughs> so Kirk goes to confront him, uh, confront Finney in engineering where they find him, and Finney expresses all his grievances with Kirk and is all crazed and upset. And he says that he sabotaged the ship to make it fall into the atmosphere, which would take away the thing Kirk loves most, which is the ship itself. So Kirk fights him and eventually subdues him and reverses the sabotage that Finney caused the ship. So at that point, uh, Finney is taken into custody. Kirk is cleared of all charges. And then he makes out with the prosecutor. Yes, he does. <laughs> so a little bit of a fun trivia about this episode. Um, the guy who played Cogley, the crotchety weird attorney, yep. he had a really hard time remembering his lines, so they had to cut all of his scenes together with all the takes that were good, which is kind of funny. Uh, this is the first episode which names Starfleet and Starfleet Command, where they finally got that straight. So from here on out, okay. it should be good. Uh, it's one of the few occasions where Spock's people are referred to as Vulcanians instead of Vulcans, which... Oh, weird. I don't think it happens again after this. It might happen one or two more times. Uh, what I thought was really cool is Commodore Stone, the guy who's accusing Kirk, uh, is the highest ranking African-American official to appear in the original series. Um, so that's kind of neat. They actually have that quality well, okay. in the show. Uh, there's a guy on the, on the panel of judges called uh, Chandra. Um, mm -hmm. And he also was in the 2009 Star Trek movie. That, even though he had no lines in this episode. Uh, and he was on a board uh, trying Kirk for his actions with the Kobayashi Maru. 
they had, hmm. he was on that board as well. And so I thought it was kind of neat. Neat. Uh, the back of the bar in the bar scene in this show, this episode has recycled pieces from Baylock's ship. The, uh, the I'm Baylock. Ah, Chanya. So, <laughs> Chanya. <laughs> um, Foolish oh. humans, you passed the test. <laughs> I'm going to drift off into space now. <laughs> uh, so, also in Stone's office, you can see set pieces that were in the, the play sequence from Conscience of the King, the episode Steve likes. Nice. I did love that one. Uh, in this episode, I also didn't mention there's a, Finney has a child, this woman, this girl who's very upset at Kirk for killing her father. And then suddenly she changes her mind really quickly and apologizes to Kirk. And we don't really understand why. She says she read letters from her father. Uh, this is because of a cut scene where she explains that her father wrote letters saying how much he hated Kirk and he wanted to get back at him. Um, and that mm-hmm. makes more sense in that context, but it was completely cut from the episode, so it didn't really make a lot of sense. But anyway, Steve, what did you think of this episode? So the things I really liked, it was nice to see Kirk truly doubt himself or begin to doubt himself. Mm. He used to like cocksure headstrong that you don't get to see him that way a ton. And it was it was nice. Uh, the other thing, I, another thing I liked, uh, you think that Shatner overacts, but then you get to see Finney <laughs> who like, who like chews the scenery so hard that it breaks in his teeth. It's amazing. I also like that the guy they casted kind of looks like if Kirk like was a little bit older and a little chubbier and a little uh, more unhinged, it kind of looks like yeah, an unhinged yeah, yeah. older like a Kirk. failed Kirk. Yeah. Like if they went two different ways, that was what he would be like. Uh, I'm glad to see that they still use adjustable monkey wrenches in the far future. <laughs> Uh, and this is the first time in an episode where Kirk kissing someone felt appropriate, not weird. Yeah, it wasn't rapey or strange. And yeah, it wasn't rapey or weird at all. Uh, things maybe I disliked. I I think that it would have been an even bolder episode if he had actually been wrong and learned something. Uh, because all this just does is reassure Kirk that he's that he's flawless. That's In- all this does. Infallible. Yeah. Uh, the heartbeat beat thing was real weird. We touched on it earlier. It was so lame and it took so long. It did. <laughs> to the point where they even skipped in time, like ahead three people, and it still was too long. Basically, folks, if you haven't seen the episode, Bones goes around slowly with a little microphone thing, holding it to people's chest so it gets rid of their heartbeat from the ship's computer so they can track down where the last heartbeat is, and that will be Finney hiding somewhere in the ship. And he goes one person by one person by one person. And it's like, okay, we get it. <laughs> Uh, the grudge against Kirk seemed too overblown for a character that we only had one episode with. Mm. And that's sort of the difficulty about the short format where every episode is standalone is that everything has to be introduced that week. And so for them to introduce this grudge, active grudge in Starfleet, that's enough to like make somebody try to sabotage Kirk's life. And he's been on the ship this and whole time. fake apparently. their own death. <laughs> he's like, been there this whole time. It's just, it's hard to get to that point as an audience member where I'm like, oh yeah, that's normal. That's true. Uh, and the heavy voiceover at the end was really strange. Finney told me what he had done and I went and fixed it in the tubes. And it's just, he had subdu- subdued Finney and then there was this voiceover and suddenly he was like pulling on an electrical cable on a ladder. That was also a cut scene as well. That's why that was so awkward is because they ran out of time so and funding. awkward. Originally, the... um the daughter of Finney was being aboard the ship as we knew, but then she actually comes into that scene and approaches him and says, dad, this is crazy. Stop it. And he's like, okay, I'm sorry. And then he tells Kirk everything about what he did. Oh, like, man. They cut that whole thing and just put in voiceover and cut to the next. Okay. Scene. That makes sense. I literally said, did they like lose the footage or something? <laughs> All right. Good. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. 
Uh, but overall, this was a pretty okay episode. I would say right in the middle for me. I did. I do not feel great or terrible about it. All right, so not crappy. Um, that's no. good. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way that when it lacked an actual quality, I like that it has more of a world building thing of Starfleet and like the procedures and star bases and it's kind of expanding yeah. the world a little bit. So that's kind of neat. But yeah, it's not like a tremendous episode in any regard. I, I agree. So cool. So do we have any Trek connection, Muppet connections this week, Steve? We do. Kay Ballard, at the time of her death, was working on a movie called Senior Moment. Hmm. Also in this film is William Shatner, what? Captain Kirk, and Christopher Lloyd, who played Krug in Star Trek Three. That is right. Wow. Uh, and then in the 70s, the early 70s, there was a show called AM New York, which was a morning show, like a morning talk show that had a rotating celebrity guest host. Mm. And in 1973, the two guest hosts for the week were Leonard Nimoy and Kay Ballard. I feel like Leonard Nimoy guests on all this crap all the time. He guested on everything. <laughs> Getting that paycheck. Uh, so those are my two great track connections this week. That's fantastic. Jarman, do you have any similarities to talk about? I do. So these are kind of a stretch maybe so forgive me um but one of them's pretty solid uh both of these episodes have an automated device not acting the way it should the ship's computer okay. in the enterprise and the venda face machine in the muppet show episode <laughs> that's good <laughs> both feature people being disgusted the other captains with kirk in the officer's bar and lounge ah. an animal and the band being disgusted with the theme song i like it all right, so I have, uh, this is not a good one. <laughs> uh, Crazy Harry blows up the stage before Gonzo can hit the gong, just like how Kirk seemingly jettisoned the pod before the red alert. <laughs> nice. Uh, both feature people trying to physically attack someone. Ooh. Finney's angry daughter and animal biting Kay and Kermit. That's true. You uh, murdered him. <laughs> I have, uh, this is my last one. Kermit says that the show gets a stay of ex execution when Floyd says he'll stay for the K Ballard number before quitting. Just like how okay, Kirk's, okay. Kirk's career in Starfleet gets a stay of execution when his attorney convinces the judges to wait on judgment until they can be taken up to the ship and confront the computer. Whoa. <laughs> Mind take, a breath, take a breath, man. Both involve a battle between two people. The dueling solos in One Note Samba and Finney slash Kirk wrestling like madmen. That's perfect. <laughs> oh, what is that? Transporter malfunction. What is that? Transporter malfunction. All right, folks, this is the time of the show where we transport one character from one episode to the other episode and vice versa, if that makes any sense. Uh, so, Steve, what you got for us this week? So this week, taking from the Muppets over to track, I've got the Venda face machine coming over. <laughs> And it replaces the computer and plays Spock in space chess. That's amazing. If only to have a really long extended scene of nothing but mouth made sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> like just just six minutes of that. I really did enjoy the mouth made sound effects. It was great. Yeah, so good. All right. I have uh, animals craziness would be perfect replacement for the unhinged Finney. So we could have Animal playing Finney and going nuts on Kirk. <laughs> you made my career bad. <laughs> Just attacking him. Nice, nice. Uh, coming from Trek to the Muppets, I've got Jamie, the overreactive daughter, 
replacing Piggy in all of her sketches and just walking in and ruining the scene by striking people and calling them murderers. That's pretty much what Piggy you does. You killed him. You did it on purpose. I hate you. I hate you. <laughs> Uh, I have the attorney Cogley, the fumbling crotchety old man, replacing the Muppet on his, in his cabin's porch, lamenting about life. Oh, that would be perfect. You're absolutely right. <laughs> I thought that'd be a good mix. Life get tidious, don't it? <laughs> I love books. <laughs> so I guess that brings us to the end of episode 20 of the Muppet Trek podcast. 20 episodes. Holy crap, how did we do it? Join us next time for episode 21 of The Muppet Show with special guest Bruce Forsyth. And original series episode, The Return of the Archons. So, from the lovers, the dreamers, and us. Live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Muppet Trek Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds. <laughs>